Welcome to Conversations with Cynthia. Cynthia Hyatt is a Christian psychotherapist specializing in trauma therapy, couples, relationships, and personal development. She is passionate about your life and is here to encourage, teach, and inspire you to be your own best version. Find her online at CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Now, with today's fresh insights, Cynthia Hyatt. Well, good afternoon. Thank you so much again for spending the next half hour with me. I hope your day is going well, and I'm so glad that we are kind of coming to the end of the week here. I I love it when the weekend comes, and we are finishing up the issue that we've been talking about, which is change and the dilemma of change. Change is hard, very hard, even if it's good, even if it's positive change. So just kind of a little recap, a little review. We really talked about the fact that the only thing that's permanent is change. And the only institution that rejects progress or change is the cemetery. So change is inevitable. And the better we learn to work with change, the healthier we're going to be, the happier we will be, and the less stressed we will be. Not only that, we will be less susceptible to the relentless assault from the enemy of our soul. So we talked about the three changes. The easiest change is the one that I initiate. The second change is the one that is inevitable, such as aging. The third change, though, this is the change that is thrust upon us, the one we never asked for, typically the one we don't want. So I want to read you a couple of verses that are always encouraging to me as we maneuver through understanding change and doing it well. And this is Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. It says, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. Now, one of the most difficult things about change, especially the ones that are thrust upon us, is that we we can't see God in it. And we begin to stumble all over ourselves and others as we try to, to really figure out what the heck is going on. What I want you to think about is that this second part of the verse that says, but when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. So what I want you to think about is not being so literal in concretely understanding what God is doing, but to say, what is being revealed? Is God being revealed? His character? His steadfastness? His loyalty? His grace? his mercy, his forgiveness? Am I being revealed? Am I seeing things that I didn't realize I was as strong as I am? Or is the change that's thrust upon me, or even the change I initiate, is it revealing character issues that maybe I need to work on? 
Because when I attend to what that change is revealing, I will be blessed. Let's look at it in the Amplified Version. It says, where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. But he who keeps the law of God, which includes that of man, is blessed, happy, fortunate, and inevitable. He is. So we see where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. So when we can't see what God is doing, we want to turn our eyes heavenward, always. Because if we start looking earthly and trying to figure it all out, we are going to be disillusioned and the enemy of our soul will be able to really lie to us. And it goes on to say, but he who keeps the law, and that means the law of God and it also includes the law of man, he will be blessed, happy, fortunate, and it's inevitable, is he. So that means that when we see no redemptive value, when we see no evidence of God, and we're trying to understand everything, we look toward who he is. We look toward his character. We figure out what's being revealed, and we don't give ourselves permission to break the law. Because when we do that, we usher in more loss. And so we don't give ourselves justification for saying, well, things are so bad right now, I'm going to relapse into maybe an addiction I overcame. Or I'm, I'm going to allow myself to just commiserate and lament and complain and become negative. Or I'm going to allow myself to quit relationships entirely. I'm going to lie and call in sick to work. This is where we want to do everything we can when we're going through an, a change and we can't see God, can't see what he's doing, we look to find who he is and who we are in that process. Because the, the NIV version of that Proverbs 29:18 says it very well. It says, when there is no revelation, people cast off restraint. But blessed is the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. So I want you to understand, it's, it makes sense to throw off restraint. It makes sense to not keep the law. It makes sense to just lose it when something so horrific has happened to us or doesn't seem to want to lift, doesn't seem to want to abate. It is the natural nature of humans to quit, give up, let go of the standard. There's no, they have no vision for their future, so what's the point? Eat, drink, and, and be merry, for tomorrow we shall die. This is why it's imperative that we remind ourselves we can trust the one who died for us. We can trust the one who died for us. And this beautiful verse in Job chapter 13 Verse 15, it says, Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. I will surely defend my ways to his face. The only reason Job can say, I will defend my ways, is because he kept pursuing God, revering God's character, 
through his horrible trials. I mean, this man had trials that are unprecedented. And he didn't lose the program. But when you look at the story of Job, we see that his wife kind of lost the program. She's the one that said to him, why don't you just die? And she's the one that lost sight of who God was. All she could see is what she lost, what was taken from her. And when we look at the end of the story, when so much has been restored to Job, he has more than he ever had even lost. And they have the celebration dinner. She's not at the table. She doesn't get to join in the celebration. Now, we don't have all the reasons as to why. Maybe she wasn't invited. Maybe she was so offended by what God had done that she refused to go. Could not get over herself. I don't know. But when we look at, at characters in the Bible, we look at what part of me relates to them. What do I want to emulate about them? What do I want to learn not to do from them? So Job is one of those characters that we want to emulate. We want to rise to the occasion and say, if he can do it, I can do it. His wife, we want to say, oh my goodness, I can see myself in her. I can do that. I can get into that hole. I can feel sorry for myself. And I don't want to be her. I don't want to be that person. <clears throat> so this is what we want to talk about today. What are some steps to managing and growing through loss and suffering. Because we talked yesterday about the grief and loss process and defense mechanisms when, when we're not doing the grief and loss process well. So the first step, we ask ourselves, where is the gain in all of this pain? Because as we've said before, every gain has a loss, every loss has a gain. So if I have a beautiful gain of, of having a child, getting pregnant, delivering a baby, now we have a new family, that's a gain. But what's the loss? Well, a lot of freedom, a lot of sleep, money, right? Children cost a lot of money. So where is the gain in all this pain that I'm going through? And sometimes it might just be as simple as, I'm going to become a stronger person. I'm going to learn to have a better attitude. I'm going to, I'm going to control the way I think. I'm going to get on top. I'm, I'm going to be transformed by my thinking. I'm not going to let myself go to the negative all the time. Well, maybe the gain, if you're losing weight, right? That's painful. That's a painful process to have to really do that discipline, especially if your body doesn't respond as quickly as you think it should. So we keep our, our, our eye on the goal. What's the gain? I'm going to be healthier, happier, feel better about myself. That's my gain through all this pain. The second one, what ways, thoughts, vision, dreams, ideas, etc., do I need to let go of? Maybe this loss I'm going through is purging something. Maybe that I didn't even know was there, but it revealed itself. So what are some ways that I live, ways that I think, 
maybe a, a vision or a dream that I have, an idea that I keep holding on to, a thought construct, a way of thinking. Maybe that's what I need to let go of. Maybe I need to let go of my own self-concept. Maybe God is consistently trying to tell me that I'm beautifully and wonderfully made, and I'm refusing to believe it until I look or act or have the things that I think constitute a beautifully, wonderfully made person. But this is a really important thing for you to evaluate as you are going through the loss that you're in. And the third one, am I practicing acceptance? Am I embracing the pain? Or am I constantly trying to medicate the pain, run away from the pain, do anything I can to not feel pain? So am I practicing acceptance of what is going on with me? Instead of fighting the fact that it's happened or that it is happening. How about this? Am I willing to feel my feelings? Am I willing to own and take responsibility for my feelings and thoughts no matter how ugly they may be? That's being willing to engage in the grief and loss process. Maybe my mind is struggling to keep a tight rein on my emotions, telling me not to feel. I, I mean, I know what it feels like when I just go, I don't want to cry. I don't want to cry. I'd rather be angry. I don't want to cry. I don't want to feel sad. I want to do everything I can to distract myself or run away from the hurt, from the upset, from the unfairness, the injustice. But my tears are the heart's attempt and ways to heal. Watering dry and arid places in my soul, in my spirit. One of the most beautiful things we understand about tears now is the chemical makeup. And when you have a splinter in your eye, when you have an irritant in your eye, and your eye waters, that has a completely different chemical composition than the tears of grief and pain. And it's really interesting how God really knows what our bodies need and our hearts need to heal. And so there's a lot of toxins that get released in the tears of pain. There's oxytocin that gets released that is one of the calming neurotransmitters, one of the, one, uh, I'm sorry, cal calming hormones. And the oxytocin is one of the greatest bonding agents. So whoever we are grieving with, we bond more deeply to them. This is why anyone that has gone through war, they may not see their compatriot for 20 years. But if they get a phone call and need something, they're, they drop everything, they're on a plane to go help them. Because the tears they experienced together during that war bond to them tighter than you could ever imagine. So my feelings are exposing my pain, my identity, telling me who I am. I must not do them injustice by denying them. Think of the life of Christ. He was fully alive. He felt every emotion deeply, completely, 
without sinning and without any type of explanation, excuse, or justification. He didn't have to justify to anybody. He never apologized for his feelings. And we as humans, we have this tendency. We start to cry. We say, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh, my gosh. Jesus was fully God, fully human. He felt his feelings completely and deeply and let them do their work. That is a courageous person. So how about this one, number five? Am I practicing spiritual disciplines while I'm going through the loss and the pain? These would be things like solitude, silence, journaling, fasting, in order to hear from God, in order for God to reveal himself to me. Remember those verses, that Proverbs 28, 19 that we looked at? That says, if people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. Where there is no vision, no redemptive revelation of God, the people perish. So these spiritual disciplines, am I reading my Bible? Am I talking to people that are strong in their faith, that are encouraging me, that are accepting of me, that are non-judgmental, not legalistic? And another really important spiritual discipline that really helps us see God, see ourselves, is fasting. You, you don't have to just fast food. You can fast television. You can fast um, how you spend your money. You can fast how long you talk to people. You can fast all kinds of different things. Because this is one of the greatest ways to, to, to have God reveal himself to you is to be putting more discipline in your life, not less restraint, which is what the human tendency would be. I've been there. I understand it. I've done it. It never works. Am I accepting compassion, comfort, and help from others? That's number six. Or am I needing to set boundaries on people that are just being legalistic and, and codependent? with me through that process. And a great example of all of that is the story of Job. So am I willing to be vulnerable to others while I go through this process? Or am I, uh, am I going to steal myself and say, I can do it all on my own. I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be judged. I don't want to be exposed. So I'm going to get it together. Nobody's going to even know that I went through it. That's not God's way. That's not how he made humans. Mammals, all mammals comfort one another. So number seven, am I practicing gratitude? Am I being careful with my attitude? Being willing to feel my anger in the grief and loss process, at the same time recognizing that God is still doing good things. And it can be really simple. I was going through a very difficult time in my life, and I was at my office, and I have my, my, one of my offices has a beautiful view of a lake. I'm on the second floor. It's a beautiful view of the lake. And I was in that office that day. It was the afternoon. And I was really struggling with some sadness, with some aloneness, with some hurt, with some... I'd been really let down by someone that I trusted and I, and, I, and I couldn't find God in the midst of it. 
And as I was sitting there, this beautiful monarch butterfly flew up to my window, landed on the sill with his wings spread all the way out and rested on my windowsill for 45 minutes. And I kept walking over and looking at him. He was beautifully, wonderfully made. The detail of this butterfly. And he just knew how to take care of himself. I mean, you know, butterflies, they migrate like all the way across the United States up into Canada and down from South America. Those, those fragile insects fly thousands of miles. Well, this, this guy took a rest. And I thought, wow, God, that is amazing. Nothing changed in my life. But I, I was filled up. I felt absolutely built up. I felt some hope. I felt some peace. I felt God's presence. So I have to be willing to practice gratitude. I have to be careful with my attitude. So number eight, am I practicing the quote-unquote art of noticing? What does that mean? That means am I noticing what's going on in my internal world and how my external responses are to the loss? So external noticing requires that I stop long enough to realize how the outside world is affecting my mind, my emotions, my physical body. External cues influence what we tell ourselves about our life and our losses, such as facing a divorce, hearing a special song, seeing a certain place. Negative thoughts that accompany those external cues, maybe they stir up old beliefs such as I'm a failure, I'm not lovable, I'm not wanted, I'm untalented, I'm unsuccessful, I'm a loser, right? So if those thoughts are left unchecked, they spill over into our souls and our bodies, sometimes causing us to experience tension, stomach aches, back aches, headaches, anxiety, all kinds of, you know, lack of sleep. So what am I noticing about my internal cues? Well, expressions of grief may require us to pay attention to a host of emotions that accompany that loss. Numbness, maybe I need to thaw out a little bit. Anger. What are those feelings telling me about my heart? And number nine, I'm going to resist the desire to medicate my pain and fall back into codependency or overindulgence or, or you know, exiting from the world, isolating, all these types of things. I'm going to resist that desire. So I'm going to sit with my pain. I'm going to practice this. I'm going to let people come into my life and, and support me. I'm going to be careful about being legalistic. I'm going to let God reveal himself. I'm going to let that loss cause more maturity and resiliency. I'm going to act with courage. I'm going to integrate my faith more deeply into my soul, my mind, my body, and my spirit. And I learn how to become a safe person. Not a shallow, inauthentic person, but one of substance. This is really important that we learn how to do this because we live in a very painful world. But we have God on our side. Whether we can see Him or not, you can trust me on that. 
Well, this is Cynthia Hyatt with Conversations with Cynthia. God bless you. I'm so glad you joined me today. Thank you, Jeremy, for being such a great producer. Have a wonderful day, and we'll finish it up tomorrow. To hear today's program again or to share it with someone else, please go online, CynthiaHyatt.com. That's C-I-N-T-H-I-A-H-I-E-T-T.com. Conversations with Cynthia is heard daily at 3 p.m. and 12 noon every Sunday on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ. Follow Cynthia on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn at Cynthia Hyatt. Until next time, remember, be your own best version. Yeah.